Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Hey, everyone. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that ants only rest for two eight-minute periods a day and only during one of those periods is there a decrease in brain activity in black and red ants, at least, that resembles sleep. But if you're a soldier ant, there's more activity during your rest period, so they apparently never sleep at all, which is one reason you probably don't want to be an ant. There are others. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is a pleasure to have on the show, and he's a guy who closed out the second annual Bulletproof Biohacker Conference with an audience of more than 500 people. So former Golden Gloves boxer and star of a documentary project called One More Round. Uh, the guy I'm talking about, if you're a fan of Bulletproof or you went to the conference, you already know I'm talking about David Walkman. Uh, David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, David. Now, you're... You've been an artistic director for more than 285 plays globally, but you also have this side of you where, where you're a fighter, and 
you, for people who haven't heard of you, you know, you're, you were substantially overweight and you decided in your 40s that you're going to go back and fight a pro fight. So it's kind of a, a, a shocking real world comeback story and you're right in the middle of making it happen. So I, I wanted to interview you today and talk about what your motivation was for doing something that you know, honestly could kill you. You, know, you. you take a punch from a pro fighter <laughs> and you're not ready for it. Bad things can happen. Uh, so why, are you, you know, why did you decide to go, to go back into the ring in your mid-40s after having been pretty far out of shape? I think the major deciding factor was losing Eddie Tyler, who was my uh, trainer and father figure, uh, almost like a brother to me, and watching him pass away his last eight days at the hospice uh, made me realize that something was missing in my life and, and that I was almost like dead men walking for many, many years. Um, and there was a lot of doors that weren't closed. You know, I was ranked in a world as an amateur and I walked away from it. And I seemed to walk away from a lot of things that I was doing well with. And it just, no matter what I did, I just never felt alive. So I felt going back in the ring at this age was an incredible task. And it was something that, that Eddie and I could cherish and, and that could actually, that fight could, could, could stop the inner fights within me forever, you know? So on stage at, at the Bulletproof Conference, you talked uh, quite openly about how you had a really an emotionally distant and unsupportive upbringing. I had some really serious trauma as a child in Morocco. And do you think that, that those early traumas lead you to, to focus on adversity through going into the ring? Or is, is there something deeper going on with you? Because, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it was pretty amazing. I mean, I've seen your, your trailer, and we're going to link to it here uh, in the show notes and all on the Bulletproof site. But, I mean, you, you're, you're working your ass off, to be perfectly frank, way more than a normal guy who wants to lose 70 or 100 pounds. Uh, you're, like, you're, you're pushing to go from, like, well, I'm pretty darn unhealthy healthy so one of your mentors dies but do you have, have you thought about where where the where the decision to go that far into into that direction comes from do you think it's your childhood or is it something else i think it's a combination of things i think you come to at least for me i came to a point in my life where i, I wanted to not only bury what happened but really face him head on and 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 come to peace with it you know uh, that's Morocco. That's uh, what happened to me in Morocco. That's the, the upbringing I had with my family, um, and and that's also the fact of walking away from things. And Eddie and I felt very guilty watching Eddie pass away and and walking away from my career when at the time that's what you, you know that's all you had. Um, so it was a compilation of things, you know. You know, through this journey. It, the physicality is obviously extremely hard, but I feel the mental uh, challenge has been uh, probably twice as hard, you know, facing uh, all the, you know, it, you're like in a dark tunnel and there's no light and you, you keep pushing and pushing and hoping that you'll see that light. And all along you're walking in this gyms and, and you have these 20 year olds that are trying to take turns at you and, and um, your mind wants to go somewhere your body can't, you know. So you keep pushing and, and struggling and, and hoping that something will happen. Well, you've got uh, you've got a lot of courage, but you're you're willing to just you know, talk about uh, some of your formative experiences and also just to go out there, like you said, going to the gym where, where there's guys half your age, 
uh, who are out there frankly trying to kick your ass. So, so you, you've, you've definitely got something special going on there, that, that willingness to just drive and, and push yourself. And you've also got this enormous problem to hack in, in that you know it's not just age, it's age plus your, your health status and, and things like that. And, and the reason that, that I'm particularly interested in, in how you're doing this is I think a lot of, a lot of listeners for Bulletproof Radio are in a similar situation where you know there's a lot of stuff they could have done they didn't do we all make trade-offs for family or uh, for career or for whatever uh, and then you you hit a certain point where you're like well wait I, I still could do that but it feels insurmountable and you're like i don't care if it's insurmountable i'm, I'm just going to do it anyway <laughs> um and then I'll, I'll make a movie about it at the same time which is which is way cool i i, I can't wait to see one more round when it comes out uh, out of all the things that you're dealing with age um uh, physical problems. What's been the single toughest hill for you to climb? Well, you know, it's funny, David, is at, at different times through this, you know, we've been shooting for two years now. We're wrapping, hopefully wrapping the film in, in August or September. And um, there's been adversity all along. And like at one point, it was my weight. Another point, it was massive injuries. I mean, I just went through four hour operations on my foot. Uh, another way, and, and, and another point, you go through financial crisis where for two years I had to turn down every single job and, and put all my funds into it and, 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 and try to get investors in it. And, and so you, you're not, you have to wear your producing hat. At the same time, you have to be the subject matter. So depending on the month, <laughs> the obstacle changes. But I think if I was to say overall, the mental challenge has been the hardest thing. You know, going back into your past, sitting down with the family and trying to have a conversation when there's never communications in 45 years. Uh, uh, sitting down with your psychologist and, and facing your past and, and trying to overcome it and understand it and, 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 and kind of move forward from it. Um, seeing your, your, your daily habituals and, and try to change who you are. It's a, you know, we're, we're, we're creatures of habits. It's really hard to change who we are. So trying to change that and... and so probably the mental has probably been the hardest. Do you draw a line between mental versus emotional? You know, it's a very fine line. Um, some things cross over and some things are strictly mental. Some things are just, you know, you, you get up and you struggle to just be positive, you know. Or it's not so much, it's so much emotional, it's more of a mental struggle and and sometimes you can't. Sometimes you get up and you're in a bad mood and it takes you half a day before you get out of that mood. What, what do you do on a day like that? Like you wake up, your, your body hurts, you, you feel old, you got a headache and you're like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to train today. I, you know, I, I just want to, I don't want to do this anymore. What, how, do you, how do you psych yourself up to, to get up and do what you're going to do? I first start by yelling at my producer, Ashley. No. <laughs> <laughs> An honest answer. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think the worst part about it is not wanting to work out. It's when you get up and everything hurts, you know? Yeah. You get up and just everything hurts, you know? Through many years of boxing and, and playing soccer and, and just being a, a very assertive teenager, I, I've acquired a lot of injuries, past injuries. So you have all these injuries and you just suck it up. You get up and you suck it up. And, and for, for some reason, when I start sweating, when I'm in the gym and I start working out, the love comes back, you know, there's, there's boxing, I'm sure you've heard of, is an extremely addictive sport, you know, and um, I, I missed it, 
and I didn't realize how much I missed it until I'm back in there duking out, sparring and working out. And um, But you don't, you get up and this is something you have to do, it's my job. So you get up and you go and, and do it, you know, and that's it. Now, one of the reasons that, that I think boxing may be addictive, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a boxer, but uh, I've done a lot of work with Stephen Collar, who was uh, the keynote at the Bulletproof Conference, the same one where you, you were the final speaker. He, uh, he talks a lot about flow state. And you know, if, if you're in the ring, you know, you've, got, you've got your hands up. <laughs> if you do it wrong, you're going to take it one in the face. <laughs> so, I mean, are you in a flow state pretty much whenever you're sparring where things kind of slow down and you're sort of in the zone? Or is it not quite that extreme? You know, it's funny. Some, I was just talking to a friend of mine. He said to me, he said, the weirdest thing that I ever see when you get in the ring is you get extremely, extremely calm, you know? And that happens also. If I'm, God forbid, I'm outside and somebody approaches me, and I, I get extremely calm because the best way to see punches come, and the best way to avoid, and the best way to think in and out of the ring when something attacks you is when you're in an extremely calm state of mind. So I'm probably the calmest I've ever been when I'm in a ring. You know. Uh, so yeah, I guess I would be in that flow state. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, um, but yeah, when there's enough danger, calmness is the only answer, and, and I think that's where a lot of athletes are going. I, I first noticed that when I was, I don't know, late teens, early 20s, I, I was one of the early guys into mountain biking, and I would do these downhill things, you know, 25, 30 miles an hour on rough terrain. Like, if you stop paying attention, you're pretty much going to die, so you pay attention so well that you can be calm. And it, it may be even worse for people with a little bit of ADD or, or some other mental uh, characteristics like that. But all of a sudden, like, all right, you can just do it. Same thing, you know, driving faster than 75 miles an hour is probably good for you if you're someone with a brain like that, not bad for you. So you go into that and you seek that in, in the ring and, it, and you've identified that it makes you happy. But you're 45, you're gonna do a pro fight, hopefully in August or September. Um, you're looking to schedule it, it looks like in a few months in June. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna have your fight, but let's you know win, win or lose. I, I doubt you're gonna launch a successful pro career <laughs> with the number of injuries you've had at 45. So you're you're gonna go back and you're gonna do what you didn't do the first time. And and you're, you're and I, I've got great respect for for you doing that. How are you gonna keep yourself in that state after that fight? How are you gonna keep from gaining those 70 pounds back? How, how are you gonna take these changes and make them permanent in your life? Well, I think, I think the diet is, is, a, is a way of life. It's not really a diet. I see it as a way of life. Eating healthy. You know, I, I, something had shut off 22 years ago where I just didn't care, you know? I didn't care about working out. I didn't care about looking good. I didn't care about eating right. I just didn't care. Where today, I very much care. Something has flipped through this journey that made me realize that I, I do want to eat right. I do want to be healthy. I do want to go keep going to the gym after this fight. I mean, of course, I'm not going to fight again, but I will go and spar and box and run and do my road work and, and feel good and look good. But most of all, I just feel great when I eat right, you know? I, and where in the past, I would feel like crap, but, but it, it was such a everyday thing that I really didn't care. Like, food became my best friend. You know, being alone and, and picking out for the TV was my best friend. So, so in, in the, by the way, I, I haven't asked you outright, what are you eating these days anyway as you're training? Well, um, I, sometimes I go through periods where I, like I'll juice for two weeks and, mm -hmm. 
and I'll clean, you know, I'll go through a cleansing and then I'll go back and I'll have just like, right amount, like a 40% protein, 25% carb, 20% fat, and then I'll up up the protein with shakes. So overall I have about 55 to 60% protein throughout the day. Wow, that's a lot. And that's because you're trying to put on the muscle mass? Yeah, and also decrease the, you know, I'm so sensitive to carbohydrates and, and sugars in yeah. general that unlike other people, even though my metabolism has raised, I look at bread and I get fat. So I have to be, <laughs> very, I have to be very careful with that. You know, so I try to have about three meals and two snacks throughout the day. Like now I just had this foot surgery, so I have to let about five, six weeks for the, heal to, the bone to heal. After that, I'll start, I'll cleanse to drop 20 pounds, just juicing like just purely like 80% vegetables, 20% juice. Wow. Now, when you do that, though, you're also training for, for muscle mass now, so you can cut 20 pounds, uh, certainly with, with juicing. Um, but are you going to lose physical performance when you do that? Well, I do it. I, I'm doing it while I'm still recuperating on my foot. So you have a 12-week recovery. The first seven weeks, I make sure I eat proper protein for the bone to heal. And then the latter five weeks, I can't get in the gym anyway. Then I'll juice, I'll swim. I'll do like a one workout, just swim and juice and physical therapy. So by the time I get to the gym, I'm down around 210. And then I could do my two workouts a day and, and eat properly again. Have you, have you started taking supplements to speed bone healing? No, I, I, I take a... I, you know, I take the general stuff, multivitamins, glucamine, and, but I usually take that when I start working out and stuff like that. So you might want to check out uh, vitamin uh, K2 and vitamin D3. Those things do speed bone healing. You take some magnesium, uh, boron, silica, stuff like that is, is actually shown in, in studies to increase the rate of bone deposition. So you can probably shave your recovery window down by a little bit or just have a stronger, like more complete recovery afterwards potentially adding l-glutamine the amino acid in a higher amount um, during uh, away from other foods could also potentially speed wound healing there's a couple studies about that but uh, i've looked at the post-surgical recovery protocols uh, for my own use i've had three knee surgeries and just you know, if you're injured uh, and you you want to come back quickly it's uh um, it's interesting how you can tweak those little variables just like you can tweak you know the number of number of workouts per week or the intensity or the timing and all that and maybe get a little bit of an advantage definitely i'll definitely look into it thank you oh sure do you uh do you know who you're gonna fight who you want to fight no i i don't i i the guy could be 20 years old the guy could be i don't know you're not going to go on TV and call him out and be like, you, you're a punk-ass kid. I'm going to beat you down. Nothing like that. No, no, I, I, I don't have any enemies. But um, no, I, I, don't, I, I guess the promoter would set that up, you know. If you had your dream fight, who would it be? It would be the guy that I lost to in the finals in the Golden Gloves when I was 23 years old. Have you tracked him down? I have tracked him down after the fight, and uh, he had... Uh, went into the Air Force or something, but didn't want to fight. Oh, bummer, so you actually asked him and he said no? I did, I asked him a few times. Oh, that's too bad. That, I had to live with that loss for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's been pretty remarkable. Uh, so you haven't figured out who yet, but your promoter's gonna work on it. And 
Now you're you're basically putting all of your energy, all of your willpower into this. And how's that affecting uh, what what you do in your artistic director side of things? You know, you, you have you've had a successful career there. It seems like this would take your two workouts a day, and, and that much protein would be really hard to do. Well, I, I as far as the theater is concerned, I've walked away from theater in in July 2011, and we focus strictly on TV and film. We have about 12 series, one-hour dramas. And a few features that we were slated to do that I couldn't really go forward with. This is a full-time job. You know, you get up at 6.30 in the morning or 6 in the morning doing your first run. Then you come back, you get breakfast. And then literally 45 minutes, you get you got your second workout. And then, you, you know, then the filmmaker head comes on and I got to watch, post what they do. Then we have a lot of sponsors that I have responsibilities for that we make promos for, that we do different things for that help us through this journey. So, like I said prior, I mean, financially, this has been, I didn't think this journey was gonna be as extensive as it, as it got. I thought I'd, I'd go in, I'd wrap this up in a year. Uh, foolish that I was, that's not the case. The movie got way bigger and, and, uh, and, and more responsibility on my part. So I, I had to put a pause on everything. Hopefully when this film comes out, Sundance or Toronto or Cannes, uh, then HFC Patriots will revive. Got it. So, so you've really got a lot more writing on this fight than, uh, than, than just winning or reconquering uh, you know, an, old, an old loss. You've also got a lot of your career online for it. Right now, David, this is my entire life. Literally. What's going to happen if you fight and you don't win? Well, I'm gonna win. <laughs> I like that answer. Uh, but, you know, the fight, the winning or losing is irrelevant really to the storyline. I mean, but in my heart, you know, when I first started this, I really didn't care if I won or lost. I wanted to get in the ring and I wanted to get over, you know, go through this journey and overcome my demons. And I felt if I got in the ring, it'd be my last fight. Win or lose, doesn't matter. But somewhere within this journey, you know, I lost my brother about a year, 11 months ago. Somewhere between 11 months ago and today, something just clicked and I, and I, I need to win and I will win, you know, and I, I, I can't see it any other way. I got it. Well, that, that manifesting things into reality thing uh, certainly seems to work. What are you doing from a coaching perspective? Like, like who coaches you? How, how do you rely on experts in order to help you? Basically, I don't want to say cheat because that has a negative connotation, but I'll say it anyway. How, how do you cheat within the rules? Like, how, how do you take full advantage um, of, of the opportunities you have? Like, like, who's on your team? Who's in your corner? Well, we have Dr. Andrew Yellen, who's uh, my psychologist. Um, Cynthia Lloyd-Darst, who's uh, my life coach. But Panda, one... Pandel Martinez, who's my trainer. And it's been pretty amazing because through this journey, you know, I've went through numerous trainers, maybe three, four. Uh, it, it was really hard for me to team up with somebody after what I had with Eddie, you know? And it was very different. At that time, I was ranked, I was young. Uh, people were coming out of woodwork to want to train me. Today, I'm a 45-year-old guy. They, they know there's no future. You know, they see the, journey, they see the, the story and they get moved by it. But Juan Panda Martinez has been awesome. It's, been, it's probably the closest thing to Eddie. And it's really helpful when you got somebody in your corner that believes in you and, and you guys have that tightness. It makes you want to 
you know, it really makes you want to work out harder, and it makes you want to get out and, and, and succeed in every, in every corner. So as far as my training is concerned, it's Juan Martinez. As far as my mental and, 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 and vision for, the, for this journey, it's, it's Cynthia Lloyd-Darst and, and Andrew, Dr. Andrew Young. What are the other places that you go to uh, to, to basically track your performance, uh, help you know your training is, is going the way, the way you want it to go? Are there, are there blogs? Are there uh, other experts whose, whose research you rely on? Like, how much of your time do you spend on kind of hacking yourself like that? Or is that something that you've mostly put in the hands of your trainer and, and your doctor? Well, Dimatize has been a great sponsor that jumped on board and, and, and completely not only helped us uh, financially, but they also helped us by sponsoring all sorts of uh, uh, pre-workout powder, the glutamine to a protein powder to, to all sorts of, of, of stuff that probably would make sense to you more than me. I just, they tell me to take them and I take them and I feel better and it's all natural, which is something that re was really, really important to me. There's also Beverly Hills Rejuvenation Center, Dan, who's, uh, Dan and Devin who own it, that have been with me since the very start and have been tracking my every move, you know, making sure that I'm healthy and stayed and uh, they've been really awesome. What do you typically do when you go to Beverly Hills Rejuvenation Center? It sounds like an interesting place. Like maybe I want to go there. Yeah. Well, uh, you go in and you get What they do is they do a whole body checkup, you know, and they check uh, for a whole blood test. I, I, almost every two months, I go through a full blood test, making sure that you know all my hormones are intact and what's not missing, what's missing, you know, if I should eat less meat, if I should eat this, if my cholesterol is high and stuff like that, if I should get a certain doctor on board because my high, my blood pressure is high. You know, when I first started this journey, everything was wrong. My cholesterol was high, my, high, my blood pressure was high. I was borderline diabetes. I mean, I was a complete mess. You know, and, and the first blood test was with them and they were able to kind of guide me through it, you know. How's your blood pressure now? Oh, it's a lot, it's, it's perfect. It's normal, it's perfect. It's perfect, it's normal, cool. Uh, if, it, if it starts trending in the wrong direction, there's a, a cool kind of training, it, it's called Zona Plus. It's something I've, I've got on the website. It's based on fighter pilots. You do this grip strength training sort of thing, but it has a little computer feedback device. You squeeze it and it, for two minutes, you squeeze just hard enough, not too hard, not too light, and it trains your nervous system to lower your blood pressure. It's, a, it's the coolest piece of biofeedback tech I've ever, ever really seen, and it, it's got effects on blood pressure. It, it's interesting though when you go to a place like uh, uh, the Beverly Hills Rejuvenation Center, anywhere you're getting data, you're on kind of the extreme edge of, of biohacking there. If you're getting data every two months, that's more than, more than most people. Um, I'd probably do mine every four to six months, depending on which data it is. I, I tend to get a lot. But um, you've got a team of professionals there who are, are looking at the data and helping you identify when it's going the wrong way. You've got a, a psychological and like emotional side of care, and you've got a sports training side of care. So you, you've basically got two, two focused professionals and then a team of, of data, data and specialist kind of people. They're all in your corner backing you up, even though in the ring you see sort of you know, your, your main trainer. Right. It, is that common? Are the guys you're fighting using that much data? I think the guys that I'm fighting today are using a lot more. You know, back when I fought, you had um, your trainer, 
and yourself. <laughs> Today they have strength coaches, they have weight coaches, they have you know life coaches, they have psychologists on board, they have uh, so many dietitians, they have uh, some of them have chefs. You know, obviously it depends where they are in their career. But in general, uh, today a, a boxer has a more equipped team than the old school. It's not as, as uh, get out there, do your road work, and get in there and box like it used to be. I understand that there's been shifts in almost every sport where people are really competitive, where you know, we have chest strap monitors, you know, heart rate monitors, and we've, we've got just amazing amounts of data. And some amount of the discipline that comes from being uh, a very high-level athlete and competitor is, is not just doing the work, but then doing the analysis to figure out how you could do the work better. Uh, do you spend a lot of time with your trainer sort of doing that? Like if this fight, this sparring match wasn't as good as it could have been from a data perspective, or is it more sort of he watches you, he says, yeah, you're not moving fast enough, you need to go more to the left, or you're leading with your right, or whatever the other things you're doing. It's, it's more the latter, it's the second part. There's no, you know, Juan Penda uh, Martinez is a very old school trainer, so there's not much data at all. It's more, you know, you need to do that, you need to keep your right hand up, and you know, and, and usually talks are between rounds, when he sees what I'm doing wrong, and when he sees what I can capitalize with the other person. And then, uh, of course, when we're not sparring, we work on different things where I can, you know, he'll work on my power or things that I lack or things that he feels that I, I can improve on. That's, uh, that's really cool. I, I love hearing how, how things are shifting and hearing how someone is, is really pushing hard, like who, who supports you and how you build a network of, of people and tools and, and whatnot in order to help make things like that happen. There's some other goals you have going on. Like right now, you're, you're working to be a full-time athlete so you can finish documenting your story. Your film is pretty far, pretty far along. Um, you're going to schedule a pro fight in June and then hopefully fight in August or September. Assuming you do all that stuff, uh, like, it, are you are you doing like an Indiegogo? I, I haven't looked into the funding side of how you're making your thing go. Like, how are you funding the movie to get it out the door? Well, <clears throat> obviously for the big part, I've used a lot of my fundings. I've put in a lot of my fundings into it. And then we've had, a, I'd say maybe 5 to 10% of it came from private investors. And then we've also had sponsors on board that came in and believed in the story. They put money or, or, or some are renowned doctors that just put their services. Like, for example, Dr. Meyer, who just did the surgery on my foot. I mean, it would have cost me up in, a, in the high teens and the thousands if I didn't have them on board. So different funds came from different wares. And, and we're still, I mean, we're at our fourth phase and we're still... You know, the budget originally started at one fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Today, it's at one point one million. Wow! We spent seven hundred fifty thousand of it already, so we're still looking for the for the last four hundred thousand dollars to finish the project. You got to remember, though, this is not the documentary that we set out to do. We shot in Morocco. We shot in France. We shot in Israel. We shot in Dominican Republic. What a, a small story evolved to the point where there's been interest in a TV series. We have three layers of intent from the most, the, some of the biggest distribution houses. One of them from Canada, E1 Films, who uh, uh, distributed Hunger Games. Uh, so there's been a lot of interest that, that usually doesn't happen until you finish principal photography. 
uh, but people have followed us. We just made front page in a newspaper in Casablanca, Morocco. Um, nice. Yeah, so it's, it's been, and, and, and look at you, I'm talking to you and you're, you're a big deal and, and we're grateful to be talking to you. So it's like a lot of things, we've been lucky in a lot of ways that people have been turned on by this story and, and, and it's been really humbling. So it's been a mixture. It's, it's one of those things when you think you're gonna shut down, something miraculously happened and you get a check or, or something happens and, and you keep going. Obviously, originally the funding was gonna be 250 and we had it covered. But as the story grew, it got better. But the good thing about this, David, is because it's become a major uh, documentary now, now we're looking at theatrical release where at one time, you know, it was ancillaries and Netflix, uh, uh, Amazon, Brian, Hulu. I mean, that's what we're looking at, video rentals. Where now, you're looking at major theatrical release worldwide. Uh, it's got four different languages. You know, English is dominant, but you have four different languages within a documentary. And it touches anybody. It's just, you know, it's not about, it's almost like Rocky. It's not about boxing. It's, it's more about a heartfelt human story and about second chances in life. You've done a lot more overcoming than just overcoming weight and age. Uh, you know, you, you didn't start out with a with a uplifting story, but you're, you're turning what could have been a pretty unhappy life into what is an uplifting thing. And, and I think that's what makes one more round. Uh, it's what is is likely to make one more round a, a really good film. Not that I've seen it yet, cause it's not done. <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm excited to check it out when it comes. If if you do have uh, if you do have the fight as planned, August or September, I'm not sure which month it would be. Um, how long after that would people listening be able to see the film? Well, we're <clears throat> right after the fight, we go back and and shoot three, four days in New York, three, four days in Pittsburgh, wrap up the Eddie story, and then go to Morocco and wrap up the whole family and, and all the incidents that happened in Morocco. <clears throat> and then finalized post. So I'm hoping that by October, November, we'll be able to enter the major film festivals. Now, depending on what distribution team is on board, if we sell the, this film before or not, they, they'll have a say in that as well. You know, major film festivals are very hush-hush about keeping everything low-key, not showing more than eight minutes and, and stuff like that. So hopefully the film will come out around November, December. That'll be great. Well, maybe we can hang out at, at a film festival together. Um, I've got my, my documentary, Moldy, about uh, environmental mold and what it's, it's doing to people, a lot of human interest stories. And, and you know, because you've been filming for a couple of years, but I, I walked into this just saying, like, this is something that, that will affect a lot of people, that is affecting a lot of people, and they don't know about it, so I, I can tell the story. And uh, the amount of work it takes to make a film, my God. Like, I, I've spent six weeks of my life on the road and setting up lenses and cameras and lighting and holy crap, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, you must spend a lot of time, like you're talking about all these on location things. Uh, how many people are working on your production? I mean, all the, the legal rights and all that kind of stuff, it's gotta be like a dozen people or something. Well, we have half a dozen in the intimate production, just you know, producers, associate producers and all that. And then you have a whole bunch of cameras aside from your your head dp patrice and and your and your and your head camera which is christoph evans you have a over a dozen camera people coming in and out you know and then you have all obviously you know your your, your attorneys and 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 your legal team and and everybody else that comes in and out but depending on the shoot 
shoot could be uh, one person and I, and it could be 30, 40 people and I, depending what you're shooting, where you're going to shoot, what needs to be grabbed. I'm thinking for the fight, we're probably gonna have six cameras. So that's a crew of maybe 24 people with sound and stuff like that. You know, and, and depending, you know, so it can be small. You know, I come from the narrative world. You know, I've, I've, I've directed plays, I've directed films, and I've directed commercials. They've all been narrative. This is my first documentary. So I think what I bring to this, aside from the story, I bring a very narrative way of shooting it. So it's very edgy. It's very much like you're watching a feature film, you know, but it's a documentary, the style of shooting. I'm sure you can tell that from watching the trailer that it's very raw, it's very in your face, it's very cinematically lit, you know. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll include the trailer uh, in the in the show notes, and we'll link to it in the, the iTunes and the YouTube video and all that, so people can find it. Thank you. Where can people find out more about this? Is there a URL that you'd like them to go to? Yeah, I would love them to go on their www.onemoreroundoc.com uh, and email myself or Ashley Pontius, who's the, the other main producer. Uh, about how they can get involved or what they would like to know or or anything I mean you know this is a journey I'd like to show the rest of the world and also to, to like us on Facebook it'd be it'd be great you know people right. go in there and, and and you know they help us inspire people I think I can't inspire people on my own unless I have a bunch of people with me to do it awesome if you had Three recommendations, given everything you've learned so far for, that you like to share with people. If people want to perform better, if, if you want to kick more ass, do these three things in your life, what would they be? Okay. I would say, I would say commit to something, get up and do part of that thing, and no matter what, be persistent at it. Awesome. Very, very concise. Did you, did you rehearse that ahead of time or you, you just kind of, you just knew? No, I just know what I have to struggle with every day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I know that I committed to do one more round. I, I, every day, no matter how I feel, I, I, I commit to doing something towards it. And I'm persistent until I get into that ring. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on Bulletproof Radio today. I wish you best of luck in your fight and best of luck in getting one more round out the door. I, I'm really excited to see it. David, thank you so much for interviewing me and thank you for letting us be part of Bulletproof. It means a lot to myself and the whole, the whole team. Well, we'll send you some more coffee beans, keep you all charged on the right kind of caffeine. And uh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you went onto iTunes and said, hey, I like this. Give us a good recommendation. Give us, a, give us a thumbs up. Like the Facebook page. And if you want to double down on that, please pick up a copy of The Bulletproof Diet. I'm still working on sales. I'm getting ready to start my next book. And selling a few more copies of The Bulletproof Diet actually moves the needle for how quickly the next book comes out. So if you've got a copy, buy two more, please. <laughs> totally appreciate it. Have an awesome day. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.